Welcome. We are glad you are with us here on Brit David Podcast. Today, Pastor Tim shares a message from Luke chapter 2, verses 20 through 52. Twas the day after Christmas. The days leading up to Christmas are so fast-paced and busy. For many, the day after Christmas is an abrupt return to the normal, lackluster days of a normal routine. But that's where the majority of the Christian life is lived, right in the middle of the ordinary. Even young Jesus' earthly life is a testimony to that truth. Let's explore the days, weeks, and years following his miraculous birth. Here's Pastor Tim. And you can be seated. Came across this poem that is a spinoff from the more familiar Twas the Night Before Christmas. It's called Twas the Day After Christmas. It says, Twas the day after Christmas and all through the house, every creature was hurting, <laughs> even the mouse. The toys were all broken, their batteries dead. Santa passed out with some ice on his head. Wrapping and ribbons just covered the floor while upstairs the family continued to snore. And I in my t-shirt, new Reeboks and jeans, went into the kitchen and started to clean. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from the sink to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the curtains and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a little white truck with an oversized mirror. The driver was smiling so lively and grand. The patch on his jacket said, U.S. Postman. With a handful of bills, he grinned like a fox. Then quickly he stuffed them into our mailbox. Bill after bill after bill, they still came. Whistling and shouting, he called them by name. Now Dillard's, now Broadway's, now Penny's and Sears. Here's Levitt's and Target's and Mervyn's all here. To the tip of your limit, every store, every mall. Now charge away, charge away, charge away all. He whooped and he whistled as he finished his work. He filled up the box, then turned with a jerk. He sprang to his truck as he drove down the road, driving much faster with just a half a load. Then I heard him exclaim with great holiday cheer, Enjoy what you got. You'll be paying all year. <laughs> oh, mercy. Sadly, that sounds like the day after Christmas, doesn't it? I'm glad your day after Christmas is better than that. You're here at church with your church family, worshiping the Lord. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. You might have a brand new Bible today. Who knows? You take that Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter number 2. We're very familiar with the first part of this chapter, and especially when we read about what happened on that Christmas day, that Christmas night. But sometimes we stop at verse number 20, and we really don't go much farther than that. Uh, we don't typically spend a lot of time talking about what happens immediately after Christmas. But what about that next day? What about when things begin returning to normal? You know, what about when all the decorations are down and the parties are over and everything is cleaned up and put up and you're back into your normal routine? That's really when God works, I think. More than, more than those high days, more than those holy days, more than those special days. It's what God does in you and through you on those regular days. 
that really begin to mount up what it means to live out a Christian life. The best blessings are not found on the mountaintops. The best of God's blessings oftentimes are found in the valley. Most of the time it's simply in the humdrum and the drudgery of just daily living. But here's a real truth for you. Christ needs to impact every part of my everyday, not just some part of my special day. If the Christian life only consists of those high mountaintop moments, then what happens to my faith in between? If you're the kind of person who has to live from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, then you're always trying to make sure that the next day outdoes the previous day. And if not, you know, there's a letdown. People begin to feel like they're not saved. They, they feel like they're not close to the Lord. But it's every single day, you... Your Bible, the presence of the Lord, as you spend time with Him, He will encourage you. As you spend time with Him, He will lift you up. As you spend time with Him, He will give you direction, no matter what it is that you're going through during those kinds of days. I want us to examine these days, months, years after Christmas that we get to look at in this, in this passage today. Let me give them to you this way. Number one. "'Twas the day after Christmas that was a time for praising." It's what the day after Christmas was about on that very first Christmas. In fact, I say that we typically read all the way down to verse number 20, but let's pick it up in verse number 20 today. It says, "'Then,' this is after the shepherds have been in Bethlehem, after they have seen the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, after they have worshipped him, after maybe the baby has been put back to sleep, after the things of that day have kind of gotten back to normal, so to speak. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Praising God is simply the acknowledgement of who He is, the acknowledgement of His characteristics, of His qualities, of His attributes. What kind of God do you serve? When you begin to think about the character and the nature of God, you cannot help but praise Him. What are some of those qualities that you look for in God that you want to ascribe glory to Him for, that you want to praise Him for? What are those things about Him that you immediately exalt and uplift? At Christmas time, oftentimes it's the fact that he takes the initiative to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's worthy of praise, isn't it? It's the fact that He is Emmanuel, that He is God with us, that He is immediate in our circumstances and cares about everything that you go through. He's not just simply some God who is merely high and lifted up, one who is at the furthest reaches of the universe, someone who maybe creates all things but winds it up like a clock and then just lets it do its thing. He is intimately involved in every aspect of your life. 
Emmanuel is worthy to be praised. When I think about Christmas, I think about the baby being born. I think about the humbling of his circumstances. I think about his own humility. The fact that he could have done and been anything that he wanted to be. He could have come in great flair. He could have come with great extravagance. He could have come and been doted upon. But yet he came in the most humble of circumstances, showing the humility of humanity. For that he is worthy to be praised. Out of all things in this Christmas season, one of those attributes that I think that rises to the top is His holiness. We sing, O holy night. But it's not the night that is simply holy, it's a night like any other night. What makes that night holy is the fact that the Holy One has come. He is holy. He is high and lifted up. He is so much different. He is distinct. He is sinless. He is perfect. He is the Son of God. And because of that, He deserves to be praised. On this day after Christmas, it can't just be about taking things back to the store. It can't just be about putting up Christmas decorations. It can't be about just cleaning up. It can't be about any of those things that are the normal part of our everyday lives. The normal part of our everyday lives should consist of what today is made out of. Today is a day of glorifying and praising the Lord when you return. When you return back to the fields where you belong. When you return back to your home. When you return back to your job. When you return back to school. When you return back to whatever it is that is that part that defines who you are and what your daily routine is like. It's a time for praising Him. It is a time for glorifying Him. Because He is worthy of any amount of worship that you give to Him. It was the day after Christmas that was a day for praising. Number two, I want you to see it was the weeks after Christmas that was a time for proclaiming. So the Bible doesn't just stop chapter number two and verse number 20. It continues on. And it continues on immediately with the week following that very first Christmas and the weeks that followed immediately after that one. Pick up your reading with me in verse number 21. The Bible says, When eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's stop there for just a moment. One week and one day after that very first Christmas, Jesus is taken to the temple, and there he's going to be circumcised, just like every Jewish boy would have been. He's going to fulfill all of the law. Listen, if Jesus fails to fulfill any portion of the law or any portion of the prophecy, He's not Messiah. He's not going to be worthy of being your, your Savior. But yet He is because He does. And mom and dad has a lot to do with that. Mom, dad, grandparent. 
Don't let your child grow up, you telling them that they can just decide what they want to believe when they're old enough. The reality is, is that they are going to believe what they want to when they're old enough. But if you don't tell them the truth now, how are they ever going to choose to believe the truth in the first place? The television's not going to tell them the truth. Their friends at school are not going to tell them the truth. The curriculum at school is not going to tell them the truth. The playground and the ball field is not going to tell your child the truth. You need to tell them the truth from the very beginning. Read to them. Talk to them. Remind them about who Jesus is and tell them all the wonderful things that He is to you. Those things that you spend time praising God for, make sure that your child knows He is holy. Make sure that your child knows that He is Emmanuel, God with them. Make sure that your child knows that He is the instigator and the initiator of salvation. Make sure that your child knows that He is the sinless Son of God, that He is the creator and sustainer of all things. That is your responsibility. Mary and Joseph is a part of their responsibility. Take Jesus to that temple on day number eight. And following in obedience, not only to the law, but to the revelation of God. So that angel Gabriel came to Joseph in a dream and said to him, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived in her is born of the Holy Spirit. You will name his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name means. Yahweh, Jehovah, is my Savior. He told Mary, the angel came to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. That which is conceived in you is to be born of the Holy Spirit. That one that will be born will be called great. And the Son of the Highest, that one will be called Jesus. So in obedience to the revelation of God, in obedience to the law of God, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple and give Him His name on day number eight. You see, the weeks after Christmas are there for still proclaiming it's still to proclaim that Yahweh saves. It's still to proclaim that Jesus is the sinless Son of God. It is still to proclaim Him and who He is and for what He has come. Let's keep reading. This next verse takes place 33 days after what we just read in verse number 21. So we're going on into the second month now, aren't we? It's been a few weeks since Jesus has been born. And the Bible says this, Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You know, as well as I know, that the Bible actually says that they're to bring a sheep. They're to bring a lamb, spotless and pure before the Lord. 
that they might sacrifice that lamb as a representation of the sacrifice that Jesus himself will make for them. Mary and Joseph don't have two pennies to rub together. They don't have a lamb, and they certainly don't have money for a lamb. And they sure don't have money for a lamb that's sold at the temple. Man, they're exorbitant. When it came time to buy a lamb, if you were to go to the temple, you might as well be going to the most expensive place on the face of the earth. That's why Jesus got so upset at them selling those lambs there and turning over their money changers' tables. Mary and Joseph don't have that kind of money, and Mary and Joseph don't have that kind of lamb. The law made provision for them. Anyone who was poor, anyone who did not have the means to sacrifice a lamb, could instead bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, ordinary common birds, a dime a dozen, something that anybody, something that everybody could sacrifice before the Lord. Just as they were faithful to take Jesus to the temple at the appropriate time, just as they followed the Lord in His direction of giving Jesus His name of Jesus, they followed the Lord's direction again. When her days of purification are over, when they bring that pair of pigeons, they bring those birds there simply to be sacrificed for the Lord, reminding them and reminding everybody who watches that this one is a gift from God. He is a gift from God not only to the whole world, he is a gift from God to that mom and dad. You know, from time to time, we'll sing that song, Mary, did you know? And I want to say, yes. <laughs> yeah, she knew. Because the angel told her, right? They know why they're taking Jesus to the temple. They know that in sacrificing those birds, that it's just a foreshadow of a greater sacrifice that is to come. They understand all of those things. And in taking him to church, it's a way of proclaiming. Now, I mentioned to you that it's not only to understand for them that this sacrifice is made, but I said for everybody who's watching, they're not by themselves at the temple this time. There are other people that are there. There are other parishioners, we might say, that are there. But there are also those who are in charge. There are those priests that are there that are keeping watch, that are doing their duties, that are doing things that need to be done, even in the days and the weeks that follow Christmas. <laughs> World doesn't stop, church doesn't stop, God doesn't stop. So all those things still have to be taken care of, right? One of those is a man by the name of Simeon. We get to meet him immediately in verse number 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. Tells you a lot about him, doesn't he? Look at this next phrase. This next phrase tells me more about his faith than the fact that he is serving in the temple. This next phrase tells me more about his faith than the fact that he is declared just. This next statement tells me more about his faith than what it means to be devout. Look at the next phrase. It says, he was waiting 
for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon this man. You say, well, I didn't think the Holy Spirit had been given yet. Listen, the Holy Spirit's just as eternal as the Father. He is just as eternal as the Son. He's always been. He was there hovering over the waters in those days of creation. He is the one who helps make creation even possible. Throughout your Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit coming on people at a special occasion, at special times, to be able to produce a specific and special task. Simeon is technically one of those Old Testament saints, one of those men who believe in God, one of those men who believe that Messiah is coming, one of those men who is anointed with the Holy Spirit of God, just as he is, you can be. Just as he is, you ought to be. Just as he is, you are better. He has to have the Holy Spirit come upon him, lay his hands upon him and help him through that menial task, whatever it might be. But you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He lives there. He'll never leave. He will never depart. He will never forsake you. The Holy Spirit is always there. And that Holy Spirit that lives inside of you can give you an anointing and help you to do what God's called you to do, no matter what it is. What Simeon is looking for is the consolation of Israel. You may know from the Handel's Messiah, when they begin to sing, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. He's picking a quote out of the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah is, is, is calling out for God to do what only God can do through the Messiah, and that is to bring comfort to the people of Israel. Comfort not just because they're in bondage. Comfort not just because they're under Rome's thumb. Comfort because they're caught in the grasp of sin, and there's not one thing that they can do to get out from under that. Comfort them. Comfort my people Israel, Messiah. Messiah comforts them by taking their sin away from them. That's what Simeon is looking for. He is looking for that Isaiah 40 type of consolation of Israel. He's looking for Messiah to come and bring it about. And look at what verse number 26 says. God had been so gracious to him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Lord's Messiah. Christ in the New Testament is simply the same word as Messiah in the Old Testament. Both mean anointed one. It means the one, the deliverer, the Savior that God would send. And so it says that the Holy Spirit had told him that he would see the Christ before he died. Look at verse number 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. It's the best way to come to church, isn't it? To come in the Spirit of the Holy God. To come by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him, that's Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God. 
He's not simply blessing the child. He's blessing God. He is praising God. He is glorifying God. He is exalting God. Because he recognizes that the baby that he holds in his hands is the consolation of Israel. This baby is the one who will take away their sin. This baby is the Savior. Can he figure all that out? I kind of doubt it. But it may very well be that the Holy Spirit has given him enough of a nudge that he's able to see a little bit further than you and I see. Maybe he's able to see a little bit more and a little bit deeper than what we see when we see a baby and what is to come. He takes that baby Jesus up in his arms and he said in verse number 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is an amazing thing for this priest to say for this man who serves in the temple. Not just simply that he recognizes that Jesus is this Messiah who is to come, but this is a Messiah who is for all the people. He is to bring salvation. And so when he takes this baby Jesus in his arms and and says to mom and dad, what's this child's name? And they say to him, his name is Jesus. You can just imagine Him smiling, probably shaking his head and saying, that's the perfect name. That's the perfect name for the Messiah. If this is the one who's going to bring consolation, if this is the one who's going to bring salvation, what better name to name him than Yahweh saves? Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim shares a conclusion to the message from Luke chapter 2, 20 through 52. T'was the day after Christmas. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.